We believe at Lakeland that being a global Christian is very important, that, that having a cross-cultural experience um, can be um, an overseas experience. It could be a, an experience in the inner city. One thing I saw a lot when I was in Haiti was um, just how hopeful the people were and how there was just a richness in the way they sang their songs and played. And it's hard to find that richness here in America. It was interesting the tension I felt in my soul about wanting to go and do and I need an activity, but to really just sit and be with the kids was, um, was a great God moment for me. Any kind of culture that is different than your own helps broaden your experience, helps you see God in a different light, helps you allow you to see the kingdom and the goal of bringing people toward the kingdom as um, something personal to you. I can't wait to go back. Like, that's one thing I look forward to doing. Good morning, everyone. So we are in Fearless. Fearless is a three-year spiritual challenge that we are doing all together. The first year, uh, the theme was give, to give financially, to, to live sacrificially and support some great ministries around the world. That continues. You all did awesomely with that and continue to do that. Uh, the second year was about gathering. Um, that is a, the spiritual discipline of having friends and community. So last year, a lot of talk about small groups, serving, being together, launched a lot of different types of classes and ministries for men and women. So that was important. This year, the emphasis is to go. Um, this will be maybe the hardest, but also the one by which you could grow the most. When we go to somewhere other than our own zip code, we experience uh, the same God in a different way. And it deepens our understanding of ourselves as well. So this year, we were trying to encourage every single one of you to take one of the opportunities that comes up this year and to go somewhere else in God's name and do a pilgrimage. It could be the youth going to Chicago. It could be um, going with Dan on a prayer uh, pilgrimage to Conception Abbey. It could be the men's road trip that you heard coming up. Or it could be what you just heard about, Haiti, and that is what um, our friend Heather here talked about. Heather has gone to Haiti. She went with her son, who at the time was in middle school, and she wanted to share a little bit about the change that made in you and why we think going is so important and then how they could participate in it this year. Absolutely. Okay, I'll turn it over to you. Oh, I'm on now. Um, so um, Carson and I, my son, my middle son, went to Haiti a couple of times together, the first time when he was in middle school, and I had completely different expectations of what was going to happen than what did happen. Um, I was there to love these poor, downtrodden children who just don't have anything, and it was completely the reverse of that. Um, they have so much more. They don't have material anything. They play with things that we would call trash, and they're perfectly happy. Um, what I think I saw the most when my going with my child was just watching him grow, watching him play with these children who... Um, just related to him as a child. He was there to have fun with kids. He got his soccer ball out, and he proceeded to be Carson, who is fabulous. Um, he was great with those kids, and it really flipped around for me what it was that we were supposed to be doing there and really, um, I think, helped us grow. We're 
we have a much different relationship now than we did because we have that to fall. We sometimes go, oh, remember that thing in Haiti, and it kind of flips us around. So um, that's my story. It was fabulous. Um, if you have the chance to go with your child, I recommend it. So next steps for that. I there it thought is. it was up. Oh, there it's up. Okay, so the Haiti trip this year is in August, the 3rd through the 8th. If you're interested, no obligation, you should join the Haiti Pilgrimage 2016 group in Lakeland Connect. There are youth scholarships if you need that, and there's a meeting on 320 after second service. Okay, so just, uh, if you know how to use Lakeland Connect, go on and sign in for that group. Mm -hmm. You go out to the kiosk if you don't, they need mm -hmm. to get, and that will let communications come to you about this trip. You bet. Or you can just show up to that meeting after church on March 20th. Absolutely. Okay, so there's gonna be opportunities coming at you almost every week this year. But for the next several weeks, we'd like you to be praying about this one. Haiti, you, maybe you and your children. Uh, you said something in first service, particularly about guys going on the trip, and that something I unique did, you're happens. Right. Yeah. Um, so lots of women go on this trip. I think lots of women connect with the idea of going and playing with children or holding babies. It sounds very nurturing. Babies. It is very nurturing. Which to me is, yeah. Right. However, <laughs> however not very many men go. And most of these orphanages are run by women. So the opportunity for these kids, the boys and the girls there, to have men in their life that can act as mentors or role models or teach them anything is really powerful. So if you are a man or a young adult or a young man, you might consider going if that's on your heart at all. Definitely want the Because you saw to something go. happen with the guys who yeah, did go. Abso absolutely. The, the teenagers there, the teenage boys there kind of just chill. They don't necessarily come and hang out with the women there. Or, the, or the, maybe there's teenage girls. They might come and see if they can talk with them. But Carson showed up with a soccer ball, and he went out, and all the teenage boys went out, and some of the younger boys too, the eight to tens, who are kind of a little bit too old to sit on somebody's lap or to play whatever, a game. So yeah. the athletic kids definitely benefited from having Carson go and having men go. So if that's on your heart, that would be something that would be a good thing. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. So be praying about how God might have this for you to learn about yourself to learn about God, and maybe to contribute something just in your presence, just being able to play soccer. All right. We'll keep putting these forward to you. Let us continue in worship. Uh, Pastor Dan's going to come and lead us in an opening prayer. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, we're in the season that's called Lent. It's leading up to Easter, and it imitates the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness uh, at the beginning of his ministry. It's a time of self-reflection, it's a time of confession, and we're going to do confession right now. We're going to do it in a particular sort of way. And so what I'd like to invite you into here as we head into some deeper worship through this prayer is to sit back in your chair, scooch back in your chair, put your drink on the floor, put your phone away, get your hands empty, set them in your lap, and sit up straight. It seems like there are three kinds of people. And we're going to confess through each one. And each one of us gravitates more strongly to each one of these sort of um, personality types. There are people who crave security because they fear everything in life. You may fear losing your paycheck or losing your house. Something dear to you that keeps you um, in control. And so you question everything. And God steps into that and says, our world's a perfectly safe place to be. And then some of you need approval and affection 
You crave other people. You crave the accolades and the rewards. You crave making a significant difference in people's lives. A lot of you are in the helping professions. And the problem is sometimes we end up very angry that nobody appreciates us and that nobody's paying attention. And we worry that nobody loves us. And then the third type of person is the person who just wants to belong and everything to be right and everyone to uh, gather together. They crave power and control over the entire group, over the family, over the workplace. And that's what drives them. And when it doesn't happen, they run away and hide. They're very nice people oftentimes, but nobody knows them. Which one might you be? A person who needs security? A person who needs approval? Or a person who needs control? Or maybe all three to some extent, right? We're going to confess through these because ultimately we're confessing to say, I am not God. God, you are God. Not me, but you. Not my will be done, but your will be done. That's the confession. We'll say these all together. We'll pause in between. Think of the thing that may be your security, your approval, or your power and control. Join me. I confess. I let go of my need for security and survival. Welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. Whom shall I fear? I confess I let go of my need for approval and affection. Welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. Only you, Lord. I confess I let go of my need for power and control. Welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. I bend my knee to you. And now in the joy of the Lord, let us stand and let us sing to him and let us begin with these words out of the Celtic tradition in their morning prayers that says, everything is good. God is good. So join me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, in the mouth of each who speaks unto me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Christ is a light. Christ is a shield. Christ beside me on my left and my right. Amen. planet was constructed for our race of people to come and play. Play? As advanced as you obviously are, can you still play? Yes, play, Mr. Sulu. More complex the mind, the greater the need for the simplicity of play. Exactly, Captain. How very perceptive of you. I had a friend once who said he never played 
He said that he believed and that he'd learned it from his dad. If you have time to play, you have time to do more work. We weren't friends very long. For the last eight years, I have made a serious commitment to honoring this facet of God. And I've tried to guide us into embodying fun into the life of our congregation. Now the staff have started calling this the theology of fun. Now I'm aware how silly that sounds. But if theology is knowing God, and if fun is a facet of who God is, then there must be a place in theology for fun. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called The Four Loves. And in the chapter on Christian friendship, I was persuaded that we become friends not because we have an immediate, deep, heartfelt concern or love for one another. We become friends at first because we like doing something together. There's something we enjoy in common. We like having fun. Now, out of that relationship through the years, all sorts of deeper things happen. But the relationship begins with fun. And it keeps coming back to fun. If we don't have fun together, there's no basis for ever becoming friends and no reason to stay friends. We'll just stop spending time together. Fun, it seems, is the root of fellowship. No wonder God calls for so many festivals and celebrations in the scriptures spread throughout the entire year. Times of work always followed by times of play. In Deuteronomy 16, Moses tells the people, have a party for seven days. Seven straight days to remember that it's God who gave you harvest and work to do and the results of that work. Make these seven days a time of great joy for everyone. Now it seems to us that fun is distracting from what's really important. But the truth is that work and worry are the distraction. Constantly producing, worrying, laboring, controlling, these things don't bring out Christ in us. No wonder God created the Sabbath God's way of saying, stop and remember who you really are. Stop and let me be God. Have a festival. Have a celebration. For in fun, you're going to look around and you'll be reminded what it is you've been working so hard for. We demonstrate in those moments that we believe we were made for joy. That God wants us to have joy. And God is sovereign. And if he wants us to have joy, we will have it regularly. When we are having fun, we are closer to the kingdom of God. Of course, it is possible to take fun too far. All of God's blessings can be dangerous to us if they're taken in the wrong way, in the wrong time, in the wrong proportion. Sex, good food, sleep, they're all life-giving, but they can all be taken too far. But I'm going to say in all seriousness, in my career in ministry in the suburbs, I have not yet met a man or woman who's in serious danger of having too much fun. So let us, this family we call Lakeland Community, be a family marked by God's joy. Let there be fun. Let there be singing contests and camping and guy movie night, plays and practical jokes and scavenger hunts. Go to concerts and visit arcades together. Play volleyball and go on vacation together. Let there be board games and hiking and standing around talking about Star Wars or Star Trek. We love all kinds here. Let us be a people of joy, for joy is the serious business of heaven.
great job, Garrett. That's good. You know, you, you can tell just how white suburban we are when you know our, our version of racism, uh, our being you know against racism is Star Trek versus Star Wars, and uh, that's just kind of pathetic. So, um, well, let's see how this goes. Goes this service because we're doing something today that we've never done, but I have kept dreaming about for years, and that's do a team teaching with Garrett and I together, actually preaching the same sermon together with Chris in here for crowd control, control, and we're we're the crowd, and he's controlling us. He's our keeper, and um, what what I thought we would do today is we're going to do the entire Bible in the remainder of the service, the entire Bible from Genesis, thousands and thousands of years. We're going to do a timeline, and here it is. Out of my way, son. Service until 2 today. Did you guys? No? No, it's not. No. (laughs) Here it is. Timeline. This is our great timeline here, and we're going to do the entire Bible in a timeline, okay? This isn't working as good as second service. I guess Temper Paint, you know, has a life, shelf life or something like that. So here we go. Close enough. Timeline of the whole Bible. Why are we doing this? Because we keep running into people who are like, you know, I don't know the Bible. Did I just have pain in my and went like this? And now it's like... <laughs> no, you're good. Ash Wednesday. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and so the, today is sort of this sort of thing where when we get done, you'll say like, oh, okay, I get it. Ben-Hur isn't in the Bible. <laughs> that, that would be nice. Yeah, Garrett. Like, what? It's not... All right. And so uh, what's that first movie you got, Chris? I want to see it. Oh, right. Chris is going to put I'm, movies up for I'm kind of fun fact guy. we only think in terms of movies. Right. So I'm going to be your normal person, not these guys. Uh, one of the worst movies ever made, 10,000 B.C. 10,000 B.C. Right. Oh, yeah, well, there that's take. not in the Bible. 10,000 B.C. is not in the Bible. No saber-toothed cats, tigers Especially that big. in the Bible. Bible. Were they that big? Who knows? Yeah, anyway. they were that big. What we do start with in the Bible is Genesis. We're going to go 66 books long. You have two handouts. You have a bookshelf. I call it the Bible bookshelf, so dig that stuff out. And then you also have your own version of a timeline. I take these things home, stick them in your Bible or whatever, and it'll help you out. As a matter of fact, I took a little highlighter on mine. And if you can, you can organize the entire Bible if it were sitting on a bookshelf like this, like the Old Testament. There's five books of the beginning. That's really the law. There's 12 books, so you can get this down in fives and twelves. There's 12 books of history. There's five books of poetry, including the Psalms and prayers and things like that. There are 12, or um, five books then of the major prophets, which meant like they were dealing with really big stuff. And then 12 minor prophets, voices that were dealing with minor stuff. And then you go into the New Testament. We're going to tell you when all this stuff happens. So you can do a 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. That gets you started through 39 books of the, of the Old Testament and leave the rest of it for the New Testament. Huh? What do you think of that? The other one, you could take your little golf pencil while we're going and see if you can fill in some of the dates on this timeline if you feel like it. You know, if for no other reason, to keep you uh, entertained. All right, so let's get into this sort of thing. Genesis, this is in creation. We don't know when that happened. We just don't. We don't know when it happened. And it's a story in the beginning of the Bible says there was a man and a woman. And in my estimation, what it says is that man and that woman are the first ones to understand that they have a soul, that they're made in the image of God. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't care if there were other humanoids before that, okay? I'm all cool with that, right? 
What you have here is the ones who are in the, realize they are in a garden with God. The first two, Adam and Eve, to think like they have a God consciousness, all right? We were created to be at home with God. As a matter of fact, as you can tell, I have marker damage from this whole thing. Let me pick up the same marker just to see if I can get more on my shirt. As a matter of fact, if you go back to creation, what we have here is we're home. We're at home, right? But then something terrible happens. We fall. Why? Because we wanted to be like God. What does the serpent say to Adam and Eve in the garden? It says, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. He's, he's got something that you don't have. You know what it is? Being God-like. And they say, really? We want that. And so they go and eat from the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden. Remember, the garden doesn't have any walls. It doesn't have any walls. I know we all think it's like some small spot in the backyard. It's the whole land. It's the whole earth. There's only one thing you're not supposed to do, eat of that tree. Well, what does the humans do? They go and eat of the one tree. <laughs> Funny, huh? So you have, yeah, go uh, for it. then you come to the uh, patriarchs where God wants to bring us back home. So he has this plan. To us, seems strange, but if you've, you know, I've never saved a world before. And right. if you haven't ever saved a world before, don't criticize. So his idea of how to save the world was to reach out to a, to a man, Abraham, and through him to create a nation of people who will represent what it's like to be in relationship with God and be brought home. And the idea is, is that uh, he says to Abraham several times, through your descendants, all nations will end up being blessed. So let me show you how to come home and be a people of God through this group. And then at some point, I'm going to use this group and through this group and through a descendant from this group, bring the whole world back home. Ah, now that's the idea of covenant. In Reformed theology and Calvinism, they would say there's a golden thread running through the entire Bible. And it's the idea of covenant. The covenant is, is God made a covenant with Adam, made a covenant with Abraham, made a covenant with Moses, and all the way down the line, and it's fulfilled in Jesus, okay? This idea of covenant. What's covenant? Covenant is a, is a unilateral agreement. It says, uh, that's what marriage is. It says, if uh, I agree to stay in love with you, even if you don't. That's what a covenant is. A contract is between two parties and you breach it, it's over with. So what Garrett's saying is, is that this covenant begins to now take on the home thing now looks like nation. And that's how I got paint on my shirt because this thing's dripping. It's nation. It's a people. Okay? There's a people going on. But once again, things are going fine. You have Babel. You have Noah. You have these other things where people keep trying to be God, right? All that stuff, the Noah and the ark. The Tower of Babel, it's all way back here, still people dealing with the idea of who they are. Then you get to Abraham, the nation, the people come along. What happens is, is people begin to drift away. Actually, because of a famine, they spend 430 years in Egypt, and they become slaves of Pharaoh. Okay? Any movies going on during this time? Not really. Uh, the opening scenes of Stargate. Is that a movie? <laughs> Not a very good one. Okay. Charles you saw Heston. some. You saw some Charles references. The Ten Commandments. Right. You saw some references Yul to Brennan. the Great Pyramids in this, and you know you got your Great Pyramid That's 5, thing. But yeah, there's some, there's some you know there's 2500 BC ish yeah. is is the pyramid. So it's it's kind of predates this uh, this Hebrew slavery moment. Let my wait. Let my people go, Charlton Heston. Let my people. And so go. how do they get home? So uh, how do they get home? There's the exodus. Exodus means exit. We're getting out of here. 
God leads them, Moses leads them, uses him to lead them out, and it's around 1400. Around here, we actually start getting some pretty good dates. 1400 BC is actually happening. Uh, what's this, this? Is where, this is where we can start cross-referencing from other sources, That's right? right? That's why we're a little History. more solid, because you've got some other writers from the it time. It says, like, that you Pharaoh can... was Ramesses, and so right. well, we know when Ramesses did, yeah, Ramesses within too. 200 right. years. That's right. So things are actually going on. So they leave the Exodus. So what's happened here on the home thing? They became a nation. They got lost once again for 430 years. They're slaves. They lose God. They don't know who God is anymore. They, as a matter of fact, you're in Egypt. You don't need God. The Nile rises and it irrigates the crops. Nobody's praying for rain from heaven or anything like that. They get lost. What happens is a three-week journey out in the Sinai Peninsula to go from Egypt. We have a map. To go from Egypt. Hey, there it is. It's on the sides and the back. Yeah, it's on the sides and the back. And so you're going to go from Kadesh down there at the very bottom. It's a three-week journey up to the Promised Land. Takes them 40 years, right? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness after they go through the Red Sea and all of that. Why? They're rebuilding the people and the nation. All of them must forget about Egypt and that they didn't need God. Now, out in the desert, there's a really trashy relationship, by the way. It's like Jerry Springer in the Bible. I mean, this is some messy stuff going on. It's real messy family business out there. They yell at God. God yells at them. It's, it's, and Moses is trying to ride herd over this whole deal. Yeah. Well, then they get to the promised land, and, uh, and they want a king because everybody else has a king. All the cool kids get a king. God says, no, let's do judges. Um, so the period of judges is also, I think, a very trashy part of the Bible. Yeah. Um, but what it shows us is that we can't rule ourselves. When God doesn't rule us, it all goes badly. The and nation so, stuff's not working well. No. They conquer the promised land, which all your bad Bible questions about you know, slaughtering people in genocide all come from this one sliver of history. Although, you have to realize the Canaanite people, the people, they weren't like... They weren't nice. They weren't really nice. They had... Blood gods, animistic, human sacrifice. Pagan. They had torture. If mm-hmm. a guest showed up in town, they not that they gang raped you know. them. It was really yeah, gross. It's not cool. <laughs> so um, it was just a, a, a very violent period of history. So you're trying to see God reach out to very violent tribal cultures through here. Yeah, and then we come. So what year is that? The period of the judges probably lasts from about 1400 to about 1000 BC. Uh-huh. So why don't you pick up there when they finally Brad Pitt, get, get a Chris, king? Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt was around born, during that part, right here. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So another in another part of the world in in Greece, uh, the the Trojan the the sacking of Troy uh, allegedly happened. Scholars can't quite agree if it actually happened. There was actual Trojan horse, or if it's sure you know rabbit, myth. Whatever. And then uh, the, the the one right behind Garrett is King Tut. Just in case you're wondering where King Tut falls in with yeah. Egyptian history, born King Tut was after the Hebrews left. To Just to give you some positioning. On really? That. I thought Troy was way like back over here. Huh, I nope. didn't know that. Well, thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. 12th, 12th century BC. All right. So they're going along, and you know what, people? They begin to think like, the people begin to think like, we want a king. Cool. They get this guy, Saul. He's the very first king. He looks good. He's a powerful warrior. He doesn't know God at all. Doesn't go well for him. God says you need a different king. They get David. David, this is the golden era of Israel. This is the golden era of the Hebrew people. Things are awesome here. They're wealthy. David's an awesome general. He's a poet. He's a songwriter. He has a heart after God. He's called the friend of God. He's called, he's a wonderful person. He also is an adulterer and really messy. And he murders, you know. This guy is messed up. You know what? He's just like us, except for the murder part and the adultery maybe. But other than that, he's just like all of us. He's really human. 
But this is the best time. This is the golden age of everything. Gary's writing in. Um, so, 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 so far, Dan, to pull back the satellite, yes, you had creation where it's talking about how yep. we're at home, everything's good, and then something terrible happened, and God responds with law yep. to say, okay, we got to right the ship here a little bit. Let's give, give some law. And that would be your Deuteronomy and your Leviticus and that sort of thing. And then we move into the judges and we're trying to bring order. And then at this high time, when we have David and Solomon, we get a bunch of poetry. That's right. Art always flourishes when everything's going great. Prophets always happen when everything's going bad. Dun, dun, yeah, dun. so the prophets. Okay, we call so it the news media. No, um, so, all right. Yeah, Solomon, uh, yeah. Uh, he is the last king to rule over a united Israel. So then they have a civil war and oh, they yeah. split into two kingdoms. So this is where your Bible gets confusing. So this, I, this will, I wish somebody had told me this before I started yeah. reading the thing. So it splits into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom keeps the name. They get to keep being called Israel. They uh, have a series of kings, most of them very short-lived. And, and messy. And most of them. Really Two-thirds of them are just goofballs. Human sacrifice and all, yeah. the, cra- all the crazy stuff. They uh, are finally destroyed... By the uh, Babylonians, no, the Assyrians. They're destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom, Judah, who has a lot more writings in the, in the Bible because they last a lot longer, they persist all the way until 586, but they also worship other gods. They're very harsh toward the poor. This is where they start taking people's tribal land and treating people really bad. So they are destroyed by the Persian, uh, sorry, the Babylonians, in 586. The Babylonians lasted just long enough to destroy Israel and they were immediately uh, taken over by the Persians. I need to add Babylon up here. That's cool. Yeah, and so uh, this period is about they were home, but they weren't home with God. They weren't living in God's world on God's terms. And so God sends them a series of prophets. We'll put here now it says, look, if you don't get this right, you'll lose home. Just like Israel did. Well, they don't get it right, and so they do Lose home. Losing home means that all their prophets, kings, royal families, and wealthy people are put into chains. Some of them, you know, chained through the lip, connected to the lips of the neck person, and you carry the heads of one of your relatives and forced to walk chained to the person in front of you carrying a human head from Jerusalem over to Persia or wherever it is they're going to be resettled. They, they left Israel just filled with the poor and other people they were reselling from other conquered lands. That's and meanwhile... Right, a terrible period. Yeah. Meanwhile, ancient Greek culture is flourishing. So right. uh, I have a sheet up there that's Aesop's Fables, so you get a lot of writing, so like Ant and Grasshopper and the Lion and the Mouse and all that kind of stuff. You're getting a ton of uh, classical ancient literature. Um, and then uh, Gary's talking about the Persians who uh, have the Hebrews captive. Well, then we have the movie The 300. Everybody's seen Sparta! The 300, right? And so Xerxes, the really, really weird emperor in the 300, is very stylized, but Xerxes was actually the emperor who decides to let the Hebrews go back to the homeland and rebuild the temple. Xerxes is actually famous for sending people back to their homeland with tons of riches. He writes laws to say... You're a little ahead of yourself. You're a little ahead of yourself. Am I? Yes, yes, yes. Xerxes was nice to Esther. Yes. He did, he did that oh, it was stuff. Darius that did yeah, all this. Yeah, Darius, uh, which right. was actually uh, uh, the Media Persians, which is another short-lived empire that came in right in between. Okay. It was that guy, Cyrus, who let them go back. 
This right. Is, this is on the population. Sent them home with all the of the treasures that the they had looted though. from yeah. the homeland to rebuild the temple. So right. here we go. The Hebrews well, are heading back home. Rebuild. They wanted to rebuild the temple. They're rebuilding the wall. So all of this messiness happens. And by the way, this split kingdom, the Judah-Israel thing, if you missed that, Garrett was explaining it well. It's split right between Jerusalem. Jerusalem, if you draw a horizontal line, below that's Judah. Above it is Israel. Okay? But the whole nation's called Israel, not Israel-Judah. I'm just saying it gets split up like that. All of that falls apart. And by here, there ain't neither one. <laughs> They're all dragged off into exile except for a few people left in a broken down city called Jerusalem. And at this point, you have the Lamentations is written by Jeremiah as he just sits there and cries and says, the whole nation's lost. We forgot about God and we're all gone and dragged off into exile. All of this then, as they say with Darius and the rest of them, begin to come back into the land and they begin to make their way home. They're trickling in because actually the king of the Babylonians is thinking like, and the Persians eventually, is thinking like, this would be good for business. We need to get that part of the world back in business. We can get some crops going, get some things happening. We can get the commerce going. It's kind of bad to have this big empty hole out there in so the middle the, of the The Old East. Testament closes. With their, they have resettled. They're starting to rebuild things. And, and they have a few prophets that say, now, remember the mistakes we made. Don't do that stuff again. That's right. Now, the Old Testament closes. We're going to miss an entire empire because Alexander the Great comes in. Hey, there he is on the page right there. Uh, uh, we got a there movie. There he Alexander. is. All right. Yeah. yeah. Colin Farrell. Yeah, I yeah. always thought of that. Okay. And uh, it, it takes <laughs> over. And uh, again, a, a fairly short-lived empire by empire standards. And then the Romans conquer all of what used to be Greeks' conquest. And so when the New Testament opens, all of a sudden the Romans are ruling everything. So you'll notice that in your Old Testament. Like all of a sudden, as every, all new people are in charge. Chris, when did Rome start? Romulus. Oh, Rome, 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 Rome. Oh. I thought I, I thought had, had it on here. I think it's 5th century. Yeah. BC. It begins it's, it's to It's about 5th century BC. By 64, yeah. you have Caesar Augustus, the big, he's the one who first calls himself Caesar, you know, deems himself a god. All that's happening right here leading up to Jesus. By the way, Garrett wrote on here, Max War, that's Judas Maccabeus. I can't spell Maccabeus. Huh? I can't spell Maccabean War, so it's, it's Just Max put a bunch War. of A's and B's and E's yeah. in there and you're good. Uh, and some C's. Maccabean is in 166. It's not in the Bible. It's not talked about, but it's really important because it's the context of what's going on. Catholic Bible. This, this is the second temple. The first temple from Solomon back here got destroyed during all this. That Herod begins to build a second temple, King Herod. Nobody liked him. And uh, the, the temple's being built here. Herod comes a little bit later. And Maccabee, uh, Judas Maccabee kills Antiochus, the Greek conqueror, uh, well, it didn't kill him. He slays the general who comes in to make a sacrifice in the Hebrew temple. Big deal. Like render under Caesar, that's which Caesar's. That line comes right from Judas Maccabeus. Mel Gibson was going to make a movie about it. It would have been awesome, but then he went crazy. Who did? Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Wow. Would have been a great movie. It should still get done. That's a cool one. Well, he this is where Masada... so many unkind things about Jewish people now. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> Oh, that part, yeah. yeah. Right about that time. Part. Right about that time, there is a movie getting made about um, about uh, Hannibal. Hannibal, not no, Lecter, not that, not that. No, one. but uh, I just I just found out. You know, the guy riding elephants across the Alps, right? They're making a movie. It's coming soon, starring Vin Diesel. <laughs> which brought me to the fact that there is no greater truth 
than the fear that should be involved with Vin Diesel on the back of elephants that are both fast and I'm furious. Groot. Yeah. <laughs> right? Groot. Fast and furious on elephants is I what am, we've got coming. I am Hannibal. Not one syllable anymore. I am Hannibal. All right. Um, okay, yeah. This, all right. New Testament, please. So we're all set up here because you, what you have to understand, the people have been so lost, so much at home. Now they're back in their land. They've trickled back in. The problem is the Romans are in charge. They're home, question mark. They're in their, it's like they're under house arrest. They're being oppressed by taxes and the military. They're in their land, but they aren't in charge. Now the talk of the Messiah has been going on, a great Savior, that God's going to rescue his people if they'll just keep obedient. That's what the Pharisees keep saying. If we'll get all the way back to doing what Moses and the law said, God will rescue us. They've been doing this now for hundreds and hundreds of years. All right? The stage is set for Jesus. It's the right time for Jesus to come. Garrett, why is it, say, 7 to 4 B.C.? I thought Jesus was born in 1 A.D. That's what they were shooting for. So the monk made (laughs) made a calendar, and he thought he had calculated according to the Roman calendar when Jesus was born. He set that as 1 A.D. in the year of our Lord, and now we call it C.E. because we want to act like the calendar is not based on Jesus. But it is. Um, And so they, uh, they calculated it. Well... Later findings have, have told us that Herod, that guy who was trying to kill Jesus in Bethlehem, the king who ordered it, he died in 4 BC. So if Jesus was about two years old at that time, then Jesus was probably born somewhere between 4 and 7 BC. And now, you can't adjust the calendar every time you learn something new about sure. archaeology. So now we're kind of stuck with Jesus was actually born before Christ. Okay. So Jesus is born, and we have that in the Gospels. So now the four Gospels are written or finally decided on, like that's what they are, somewhere right around here in around 40, 45, or 50. They're being written. Jesus is born. We don't know much about Jesus after his birth, those first couple, three years, until year 12. There's a small reference that he's a boy, and they're on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He gets left there, gets left behind because he's talking with the religious leaders because he's so brilliant. And then we pick up Jesus's, uh, the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And so we find right around 30, we find, well, you know, I'm just going to jump to A.D. here and just carry with it because I can't do the math that fast. We're going to go with Jesus beginning his ministry for about three years on earth. This is everything that's recorded in the Gospels. That's when Jesus Christ Superstar happened, right? That's right. Exactly. Okay, let me bring us to something better. Um, So this is the culmination of the coming home. This is the descendant through Abraham. That's right. That God said someday through one of your descendants or through your descendants, I now say one of, uh, all nations will be blessed. This is the gospel now opening up to the world. And these letters, if you read them carefully, most of them are answering this question. If God came, made Hebrews the chosen people, why are all these non-Hebrews coming into the church? Greeks, Romans, even barbarians and Africans. How's this happening? These letters are answering, saying, you were supposed to know from your Old Testament scriptures that God was always going to bring home all nations. So get over it. It's not just a Jewish thing anymore. It's a worldwide thing. It was that way from the beginning. And all these letters are meant to tell that story. God's going to bring everyone home now. Us and them and you and me. So the home is not about a land anymore. It's now about a person in Jesus. And it's about your identity. It was always about your identity being back in a garden walking in the cool afternoon with God. That's how it started. Somehow it all turned political. 
Somehow it all turned into economics. Somehow it all turned into power and violence. And we get all the way back to Jesus and he says, I am, I am that person back there. I am the Abraham. I am the Moses. I am God. And I will now make it all in myself. And that's when we do communion. We do the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the Eucharist. This is what we're saying. This is my body. This is my blood. It's saying all of this journey here is all come home in here. And home is no longer about a place. It's about you and I and where we're at in our heart. It's about us belonging together as a church, about being a new people. It's not about having power and a place. It's all about who we are. And like Garrett said, the, the letters here, these epistles and so forth, are all about the new people of God. What does it look like? And the controversies that they were having. And the struggles, it was what, that was going on. I'll tell you, the very first thing that went on in the New Testament was racism. They conquered racism. That was the very first thing. I don't know what happened to us, but somewhere along here, racism was the very first thing that they took care of. That Jews and non-Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, all the rest of them could all be together. And you start to see them work. See, Paul has this line. There is neither uh, a Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. You see them working really hard on, the, on the, the, the Greek nor Jew. You start to see them working on the slave free with what Dan preached last October about Philemon. And Paul's doing a lot of heavy-handed hinting there about maybe you ought to treat your slave just like any other member of your household. On the male and female thing, you start seeing, start seeing coming up uh, and all the women who are, uh, I just read another one, a woman called the disciple in the book of Acts. You start to see this. Uh, women just aren't for the kitchen anymore. And you, you, but it was left to the rest of church history, which someday we ought to do this, to, to fully iron out some of those other ones, and we're still working on it today. And you have Revelation somewhere, right? Revelation I put there uh, down at the end. Yeah, last, probably not, the last not an, book. Not there. an epistle. Not an epistle. <laughs> well, it is an epistle. Revelation is three things at once. It's a letter written to churches, so it is an epistle. Oh. It's also a prophecy. Um, it's also the a recording of a vision and a dream. So... Uh, that's what makes Revelation so exciting and controversial. Is it's three types of literature all rolled up into one. What's this, Chris? Oh, that's Gladiator. That happened in 180. So that that's was awesome after movie. Scripture. If you didn't know, Gladiator was like post all of this. And if you get the director's cut of the movie, there's actually scenes where they're feeding Christians to lions in the, uh, in the arena that they cut out of the theatrical release. So, Huh, I didn't know that. Fun fact. Well, everyone, that's the Bible in whatever minutes it took, Chris. How long did it take? Well, it was about 27. Whoa, we still got time left. What are we going to talk about? No, you don't. Okay. No. All right. Um, so that's the whole thing. I, hopefully it's helpful that you can actually see where everybody lines up, the Abrahams and the Moseses. And I chose this theme of home that we kind of cued off of. We could have done covenant. Uh, I think there's even a metaphor of water. Like, you know, you go through the water, the land and the water's separated in creation and the Red Sea and the baptism, and it gets all the way down to Christian baptism. It's very interesting if you want to get into that sort of thing. We'll do a class on it, I guess, sometime, huh? All right, well, let's leave this morning with the words from the Celtic tradition. Would you stand with me, please? And we've been doing this now for years, and let me just remind you, though, once again, in the Christian tradition, not in churches like ours, but out there in the rest of Christendom, what happens is, is for centuries and centuries, 
People have made the sign of the cross over themselves. You're like, well, that's some sort of this religious mumbo-jumbo. And like, yeah, it can be if that's what you want to turn it into. What can also be is like what marks you, what identifies yourself, yourself, and how often do you ever get your body, how often do you physically get yourself involved in the thing? You, you touch your head, you touch your heart, you touch your left, you touch your right. And it says, this is the mark. That, that cross is what I belong to. If that's you this morning then do it with us at the end of this, all right? Join me, everyone together. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.